We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, everyone, and welcome to your Patreon exclusive. Oh, wait, no. Ah. This, that's right. We're releasing this on the main feed, Trace. Yes, we are, Joe. Welcome, everybody. Uh, yes, we are unlocking the Patreon vault this week as we release an episode that came out uh, almost two years ago on the Patreon. And uh, it is, of course, on The New Mutants, which um, I don't know. How many years did we wait for this movie, Joe? <laughs> yeah, uh, it was a very, very long time. So, folks, if you listen to this episode, you will hear one of the lengthiest production histories Trace has ever done on the show, I think. Maybe? Oh, my God. Yeah, I mean, this this was, I mean, again, y'all were all here for this, ideally. So, yeah, y'all know the story behind this movie, but we go all in on this thing. And, you know, a, a movie that we thought was going to be absolute horseshit that we wound up thinking was okay. Yeah, a lot of folks ended up sleeping on this one, and you and I discovered, sure, it's definitely been tampered with, oh, and yeah. there's things that we would have liked to have seen done differently, but this young cast is actually really game. The special effects are totally fine, and folks, if you missed the agenda, this is queer fucking horror wrapped in a superhero shell. Yeah, it absolutely is, and you know, uh, another reason that we do this, everyone, is to give all of you non-patrons a taste of what it's like to be a patron for or just a day. <laughs> yeah, so uh, what you'll end up hearing is the episode as it was released on Patreon. We do five episodes a month, sometimes six if we're feeling slightly masochistic. <laughs> and uh, there's a bunch of different tier levels. You know, Trace usually lists them off at the end of episodes, but we know that sometimes people don't stick around for the outro. So yeah, I mean, you can find content like this. Sometimes they're a little bit shorter. Sometimes they're one-off weird little episodes that are listening will ask us to cover it's just a lot of variety and different kinds of topics yeah and if you've never been to our patreon page before it's really simple again as joe said i mentioned it at the end of every episode but you can go to patreon.com slash horrorqueers and you will be taken to a very pretty menu where you will see all of the tiers in our patreon and so if you haven't been that will of course be themed after gail's hairstyles in the scream film so <laughs> You can choose the level you want to subscribe to. We've got a $1, $3, $5, $8, and $10 level. And at each tier, you get uh, just a different thing. You know, be it a one minisode, two minisodes, two minisodes in a full-length episode, two minisodes in two full-length episodes, or all of that, plus our monthly audio commentary. So you get to pick and choose just uh, you know, whichever one you want to pay for the month and listen to. So it's uh, it's really exciting, and we put out some really good content, and so we want to make sure that everyone has a chance to listen to it. Yeah, and... As we move through time, so, you know, when folks were listening to the New Mutants episode back in the day, there was a lot less 
content. Nowadays, for like 10 bucks, you can get something like 185 hours of content. It's wild. We're creeping up to that 200 hour mark. And who boy, um, you know, get your money's worth on that. There you go. <laughs> All right. I think we've shilled long enough, Trace. So uh, since this is a Patreon episode that aired two years ago, it's not going to tell people what they're going to hear on the main feed next week. It is not, Joe. And what are we going to discuss on the main feed next week? Because this has been a... Oh, boy. It's an unconventional pick, given the, the genre of film. But Lord help us if we haven't had a lot of people request this film. <laughs> Absolutely. We like to do special episodes as we come up on the 4th of July. So we were thinking something a little patriotic, something that's maybe got a bit of camp to it. Because, oh, fucking right, we're starting a summer of Camp Trace. So week number one, we're celebrating Independence Day with a little bit of Drop Dead Gorgeous. Can I, a mayor? I can! (laughs) (laughs) Oh boy, it's just going to be so many bad accents and dialogue readings. I I mean, honestly, full disclosure, everyone, we have not recorded this episode yet, but I cannot imagine I'm not going to be quoting every other line of this movie. Yeah, that sounds enjoyable. Let's (laughs) not do that. (laughs) We'll we'll try to, you know, deeply analyze its queer horror themes. Don't worry. (laughs) There we go. There we go. Yeah, so that is what's going to be on the main feed. And of course, we have a Patreon scheduled this month, so if you are going to be signing up for the first time, or if you're already a patron, just here's a reiteration. So we will have episodes on our favorite horror movie posters, an audio commentary on Gremlins 2, The New Batch, and Jurassic World Dominion already out there. And then still to come, we will have episodes on Watcher, the Micah Monroe thriller, and The Black Phone. So go subscribe today and you'll get all that. And obviously the other 180 hours Joe already talked about. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So plenty of stuff, good stuff, fun stuff. And uh, I guess without further ado, enjoy the new mutants. Woo! Good morning, afternoon, or evening. And welcome to the Bloody Disgusting Network. The following show is just horrifying. Beware. Sheriff, you're not cheating on your wife if you eat my lemon square. Your lemon squares taste like ass. Welcome back to Horror Queers Patreon. We're talking troubled productions, we're talking lesbian teen mutants, and we're talking heavy-handed metaphors for coming-of-age narratives. And I'm Joe. And I'm Trace, and we're talking one of the most controversial and convoluted production histories of a film that I have seen in quite some time. (laughs) Bitch, way to piggyback off mine. I know, but it's fine. (laughs) We're talking the new mutants, everybody. It's, it's, I am flabbergasted by this and i i'm gonna get it off the off off my chest right away i think that this movie is i'm gonna say fine bordering Mm -hmm. on quite good and no that's a huge distinction you can't say fine bordering on quite good it would be like fine to good to quite good uh, okay um (laughs) i'm I'm fine from fine to good basically and i i I don't know if it's because I was, like, expecting, like, such a fucking shit show after the, you know, two years we've been waiting for this movie. Two plus years, really. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so I walked in, and I was just like, I mean, I told you, I was watching it with my husband, and about every 20 minutes, we'd look at each other and be like, 
I'm really into this. <laughs> yeah, I didn't like it, I think, quite as much as you. For me, this is firmly in its fine territory. It's right. about halfway there. Like you, I didn't find it as bad as I expected going in, given all of the history surrounding the production. But I also did have difficulty emotionally connecting with these characters. I found that this was just too much of an origin story precipitated on, ooh, what's their power? Ooh, what's happening? And the Mm -hmm. minute that you kind of even start to figure it out, the film loses a lot of power. Yeah, I wouldn't go as far as to say they're like one-dimensional characters. I'd say they're maybe more two-dimensional. I think they they were trying to go for like Breakfast Club with a bit of a horror twist to it. and. I can see that here. I can see that in the bones of this. But you're right. Like, at the end of the day, these these kids are defined by their powers and or the tragedy that befell them. Oh, yeah. This is some teenage trauma porn right here. It is. Now, granted, I mean, I was surprised first by the short runtime. This movie's 94 minutes with credits, but eight of those minutes are mm-hmm. <laughs> credits. Well, so, it is a superhero film, folks, so we've got a lot of FX work. <laughs> right, but we're looking at an 86-minute movie, making it not only the shortest X-Men film, but also just for this type of movie, very short in general. Now, I don't yeah. know if I want a two-hour version of this movie, but it was a fun, brisk 86 minutes that I enjoyed far more than I thought I was going to. Right. Yeah, and I would agree with that. But I would also say that even I think 10 minutes more would have helped to flesh out some of this because there's a little bit of whiplash happening in some of these scenes. And it it almost feels like somebody at Fox looked at this at an initial cut and said, no, trim it up. No, get rid of that. Like you can feel the editing snaking out parts of this that would have helped to make it feel a little more seamless no you're, you're very right but there's also when we go through the production history in a minute which oh yeah it's, it's like it's all there in the production history right like, what the but, fuck happened but there's here? a whole thing though even like once disney got it where there were rumors where disney was like oh this movie's unmarketable like it's not gonna fit in this marketplace and i'm looking which at this I, like what like yeah. <laughs> it, it, like i don't know what they were seeing that was so fucking terrifying to them mm-hmm. and maybe that's just disney not knowing how to market adult content see also shit like love victor where apparently it was Mm. so scandalous it had to be moved off of disney plus to hulu like that that's what i was curious about too and maybe in your thoughts on this as well i wondered if maybe the queer content because it was way more up front and center than i thought it was going to be like i thought it was oh my god i was like oh we're not even gonna code it it's like (laughs) she's just like out and proud lesbian like the fact that she was a wolf was more scandalous than yeah. the fact that she was a lesbian and like of course like her her and her trauma comes from religion as well which is you know a bit on the nose but mm-hmm. it's there but i do wonder if yeah disney is like oh we have a superhero movie that is trying to be young ya but yeah. also doing horror stuff and like mm-hmm. i guess for the second half of the film and then also has queer content so i wonder if that was just like too many controversial things that Disney was like, we don't know what to do with this. (laughs) The dark trifecta for Disney. They're like, wait, teens and horror and gay shit? Oh God, what are we going to do with this? But then you see people like, I saw reviews that were like, oh, it's the worst X-Men movie ever made. And I'm like, "Um, how can you say that when Dark Phoenix exists and when a fucking apocalypse exists and when The Last Stand exists? And Wolverine Origins exists. Oh my God, right? Come on, people. (laughs) You need to see more X-Men movies. And you know what? Actually, before we start to get a little too crazy with this, maybe we should introduce this by talking a little bit about our relationship with the X-Men. Because this is... 
new territory for horror queers. We haven't talked about superhero films very often. Right. And we, we, yeah, we don't get to talk about comics very much. Um, well, Age Before Beauty, Joe. Oh, okay. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> because I'm both aged and beauty, so I'll take both. I'm beauteous. Beauteous, yes. Wait, did you say booty or beauty? I oh my god, say. I'm hysterical. Uh, let's see. Relationship with the X-Men. I quite like it. I have seen all of the films. Like, all of the films. Mm-hmm. Even those bad ones, I've seen them. What about and- the comics and the cartoon? Yeah, so I didn't read a lot of older X-Men, but I got into The Next Generation, which was a kind of ill-fated spinoff that lasted for a little bit in, I want to say, the mid to late 90s. And it's funny because it has a lot of the same flavor as this, where the teens are a little bit punk. They're not quite X-Men caliber level, like they're really coming into their powers, but they're very hormonal, maybe even a little horny. Mm -hmm. And it's them learning how to balance their powers with the responsibility that comes with it. But it's, you know, teenage runaways, people from abused backgrounds. So very much in keeping with this. And I do find that that suits the X-Men model. Like if you look at the X-Men as a metaphor for people who are different, and a lot of people see the X-Men as a very queer property in general, Mm. I do think that the New Mutants is actually adhering very closely to, you know, the historical legacy of these characters. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. I mean, I think especially when you take those first two films that Brian Singer directed, I mean, you have a queer direction, you know, of course, we're back on Brian Singer territory. All the fucking time. But there's that scene in the second movie when Iceman, Sean Ashmore, has to come out to his parents as a mutant. And it, it, yeah. I think had it not come after, like, you know, Buffy season two, when it's like, have you tried not being a Slayer? Because Love that line. <laughs> there, but there's literally a line in X-Men 2 where it's like, have you tried not being a mutant? P.S. Mm-hmm. Did you know that Iceman's little brother who rats him out is also the, the kid who gets squashed by a pane of glass in Final Destination 2? <laughs> I did, but only because you pointed it out. <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> My connection with the X-Men, so I, I never, I've never read the comics. I have okay. no connection to the comics whatsoever. I think you would like them, to be honest. I'm sure that I would. It's just like, honestly, when I was a kid, I, I mean, you know, growing up in the 90s, I was very much a Saturday morning cartoon kid. I wasn't watching, I wasn't reading comics. Um, not because right. I had anything against them, but just because I was like... I mean, comics are for the eyes. I watch it on TV. I mean, it's it's... I can never, like, I I wasn't surrounded by people who read comics. I never thought once in my life to be like, hey, mom, can we go to the comic book store? Oh, yeah. So it was was just never part (laughs) of my, of like, of my life. Um, I actually didn't love the original 90s cartoon. I was more of a (sighs) Spider-Man kid. How dare you? I know. I think if I watch, I think if I watch them now, I would like them now. I actually, so the cartoon I got into was X-Men Evolution, which I think started right after the first movie came out, or maybe even the second movie, to be honest. Okay. It was a kids WB cartoon. Um, right. It was, it was still dark, but it probably wasn't quite as dark as how that early 90s cartoon got. Uh, that one actually is surprisingly candy-coated, but yeah, they weren't shy about doing some bad things. So right. the look was always bubblegum and kind of neon, but the content could be darker. Gotcha. I did, so I've seen almost every single one of the films in theaters. I definitely saw one and two in theaters. Three I saw because I was working in a theater when it came out. Right. Um, I saw First Class. I saw Days mm-hmm. of Future Past. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know what? Though? A lot of those X-Men mood. I didn't see Origins or the Wolverine or Logan in theaters. Um, but I, oh, and I didn't see Apocalypse in theaters because I heard it was bad. And I did go see Dark Phoenix because I was like, well, I'm going to get yeah. a bottle of wine and go see this shit. 
<laughs> yeah, I feel like by that point, people really had accepted that the wheels were starting to come off this franchise. Mm-hmm. And it's a little bit sad, right? Because by the time we get to New Mutants, people thought, okay, they're actually willing to take risks again. Because when they did Wolverine Origins, they were still talking about doing individual spinoffs. And, yep. you know, even that second Wolverine film with its Japanese influences, and it feels like it has a different flavor. I really like that second Wolverine movie. <laughs> I do too. And then Logan is even better. Yeah, uh, you 100%. know, it takes the Western and inverts it. And that shows that there is a flexibility in the genre, particularly when it comes to X-Men films, like that you wish that they would play around with it a little bit more. So when we get to something like New Mutants, where it's a horror version of this, I definitely thought, okay, this could revitalize the franchise. Like they wanted this to be a new trilogy. Trilogy, yes. And I but... do think it could have worked. But I, then <laughs> I think I have do I have it? No, I didn't. I, I had the thing where it's like what the plot of each film of, of each of the two sequels is going to be. But I didn't. Yeah, one was going to be an alien invasion. And one. Of yeah. Those... And then the third one was going to have more of a magic centric storyline, um, right. which is the Anya Taylor-Joy character. Um, but that being said, I do want to point out. So I, I have no connection to the new mutants whatsoever. So this yeah, is my first neither. exposure to them. I do. I, I did go in and look because I, I know people complained about the changes to the characters, not even the plot per se, but the characters themselves. And I can go through like kind of a crash course of that uh, before okay. we go. Before we go, uh, maybe after the the production history. Sure. But um, I don't know. Like watching this on its own, it felt very small scale. I almost <laughs> wonder if like because th- this was gonna have ties in with Apocalypse, like it was gonna take place right after the Apocalypse film, but then that film kind of tanked. Right. And I wonder if it's actually. For me, at least, it's better that it is so small scale, that it doesn't seem to have grander aspirations outside of the the references to the Essex Corporation and Mr. Sinister, which I also have to look up because I'm not familiar with that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> when that pops up in the film, it's kind of like, oh, shit, we're supposed to remember who that is, right? Well, I don't know, but but he's that's not even mentioned in any of the other films. It's a comic book thing because they were setting it up for the sequels. Right. So yeah. it does, it, it, that those things like do feel like sequel teases and i mean yeah. they're they're pretty glaring and obvious but it doesn't it's not something as egregious as like say <sighs> what's that thing know. flying under the water at the end of x2 <laughs> oh my god oh dude the way between x-men 2 and 3 was like the longest wait of my life i was because i was so upset when gene gray died and i didn't know the dark phoenix stuff <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which is hilarious because uh, that that just kind of proves that you did not read the X-Men comics because it's 100% the most iconic run in the franchise's oh, history. I mean, I know that now, and yeah. now films have fucked it up twice. <laughs> so oh, Honestly, okay, so I have actually read the sidebar. I've read that, and it's a really good run. It's impossible to put to film. It is involves it so alien worlds. Yeah. It, mm. it would be a hard, hard sell. Well, actually, no, I think even with Dark Phoenix, there was going to be more space stuff, but then yeah, they, they... They got cold feet. Well, because of Captain Marvel. They didn't want it to be compared negatively to Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. Which know. it would have been. So, okay. Why okay. don't we just... Let, let's start with this timeline. And y'all, I'm not going to lie. I have two pages of this. And... Yeah, we're not overselling it when we say that this is a troubled production. It's not like, oh, it had a bumpy road. It's like, well, this is cursed level bad. It's a troubled... Troubled post-production. I mean, I think Josh Boone has gone on record to say that the the, the film, the, the shooting itself was stressful for him. Mm-hmm. And I know that Fox wanted him to tone down the horror elements because he was going into it saying, you know, this is going to be a horror movie. And yeah. 
I know for us, like a lot of people were like, oh, it's going to be rated R. And so when it was finally PG-13, people were really pissed. Um, Of course. I think post Logan and Deadpool, like there was, yeah, there was a possibility for that, but it was Mm -hmm. clear that that was never like, this doesn't feel like Black Christmas 2019 where it's like shot for R and cut down. Like this was clearly shot for PG-13. Yeah, I think the idea of R was on the table, and then by the time they got to shooting, it was PG-13. Right. They also get rid of their fuck, like, way early in the film. Like, I think it's uh, Magic's (laughs) first line. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's one way to introduce the character. So, okay, let's let's time travel back to 2013. Okay. <laughs> um, Josh Boone, who, his most famous film before this, actually, this is his third film, I think. Um, his big one was The Fault in Our Stars, the YA adaptation. So, yep. he wouldn't be your first choice to direct a big-budget superhero adaptation, but... Uh, um, and yet we often get those people doing it, right? Like, mm-hmm. I remember Gavin Hood, the guy who directed Wolverine Origins, his first few... His first film was, like, a super tiny African film. Interesting. Well, I'll tell you right now that the problem with that movie is not the director. Um, it is the script. <laughs> it's the script and the terrible fucking CGI. But Ooh, yeah, CGI mostly the script. So after completing The Fault in Our Stars, Josh Boone created a comic book with his childhood best friend, Nate Lee. Now, that is Nate with a silent K at the front. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I want to point out, because so, I looked up his credits, um, because, so Josh Boone had done a movie called Stuck in Love before The Fault in Our Stars, which is like a 2009, like, almost like a not funny Love Actually type movie, where it's like a bunch of different, like, couples and stuff. Yeah, I looked it up online, and just, I went, oh, the cast is okay, but this plot line is nope. Yeah. Nate Lee, though, so he, he I'm does sorry, not I'm still right. stuck on the K is silent because I just <laughs> want to do that Golden Girls line where it's like the K is not silent, like Kanate. Kanate. <laughs> so continue. Since writing this, he actually wrote the Halle Berry movie Kidnap that came out three years ago. But before this, his only writing credit was Jackass 3D and like maybe oh. Jackass something else. But he, it wasn't, oh. obviously, it's not scripted. He was writing concepts, which I'm assuming was concepts for the stunts they were doing. Yeah, I imagine it's kind of like coming up with just high concept ideas. Okay, well, how about something in a grocery store cart? Yeah, exactly. So anyway, so they make a comic book um, from Chris Claremont and Bill Seinkiewicz's New Mutants comments, uh, New Mutants comics, sorry if I butchered Bill's last name, to illustrate what a potential film (laughs) trilogy adapting those comics would look like. They were fans of the characters, Boone liked how dark they were, and like different from your typical X-Men stories. So they took right. the comic to Simon Kinberg, one of the producers of the X-Men film series, who really liked it. Now, Simon Kinberg... <laughs> oh, God. What a piece of shit. He sucks. Yeah, he really does. But he is probably most known... I mean, he directed Dark Phoenix. Yeah. Um, but he... And didn't he write the original Dark Phoenix? Like, he wrote Last Stand, didn't he? Yeah. His first writing credit is Triple X State of the Union, with the, uh, the first Ice Cube movie from 2005. But he would go on to co-write X-Men The Last Stand. So he already fucked up Dark Phoenix once. Right. He was one of, like, four writers on X-Men First Class. Mm -hmm. And then he wrote X-Men Days of Future Past, which is awesome because that movie is fucking amazing. It's the best one. It is. Um, Oh, I would argue two might Uh, be the best one. I don't know. Oh, sorry. I meant like of the new ones. And then even that, I was like, actually, I really like First Class. But anyway, this we don't. I like First Class, but I think the emotional payoffs of Days of Future Past make it a better film for me. True. Yeah. Um, But then he also would, after that, would go on to co-write the Fantastic Four reboot, the Josh Trank one, which also had a very bad (laughs) 
yeah. production history. And then write solo X-Men Apocalypse and Dark Phoenix. So Woof. he his career tanked, really, after Days of Future Past. <laughs> uh, yeah, or, or it peaked with that film. Pretty much, yeah. Um, so yeah, he liked it. So fast forward about a uh, year and a half, or in May of 2015. Okay. Fox finalizes a deal to have Boone direct the New Mutants from a script written by himself and Kanate Lee. <laughs> Kinberg is going to be co-producing the film. Right. It was supposed to expand the universe of the X-Men franchise and take place three years after X-Men Apocalypse. Now, you might remember that Apocalypse takes place, I want to say, in the 80s? Yes. So this film was originally going to take place in the 80s or early 90s. Which makes sense, because when you look at the production, it firmly has that late 80s punk vibe to it. Mm-hmm. So fast forward almost a year, we're in March 2016 now. Kimberg says that Boone and Lee were working on a script, and that, like Deadpool, the film would be different from the core X-Men films. Not as different as Deadpool, but just have a different feel, which I think is a really good way to go about it. Yeah, me too. From the get-go, it was going to be a YA young adult vibe. And then, but there were potential. There was potential for characters seen in previous films to appear, like Warpath, Sunspot, and Sunspot's in this movie, but played by a different actor, and Professor X, um, because they all have ties. Because I didn't know this in the Demon Bear storyline in the New Mutants comics, they're actually already like fully X Men. Yes, they've yeah. already learned their powers and shit. So even though they're called the New Mutants, like they've gotten accustomed to their powers by this point. Yeah, it's the problem with nomenclature, right? They've got to continually find new ways to talk about the next generation. Like the the group that I mentioned reading in the 90s was like they were explicitly called the next generation because they were supposed to be the next generation under the X-Men you knew. And then mm. New Mutants is like another variation of that, but they can't call it the next, next generation. <laughs> Let's call them the new. These are the new ones, guys. <laughs> guys they're just new just go with it okay i will confess that when uh, i never understood the title of the of the movie the new mutants and so when when we get alice braga like oh yeah you're new mutants meaning your powers are just emerged i i literally had a light bulb moment where i was like oh oh sweetie <laughs> i know <laughs> maybe that's why i like this movie because i'm just dumb <laughs> <laughs> you're like oh candy and bright lights <laughs> it's not a huge piece of shit four stars <laughs> there we go you know what if, if it makes you happy in this day and age, just go with it. There we go. So yeah, May 2016, this is two months later, um, Kimber confirms that the script includes Professor X, and they wanted to start filming at the start of 2017. Um, mm. They actually start filming in July of 2017, so it gets pushed back a bit. Right. So sometime after this, um, Boone explains that the script ha- the script he wrote with Kanate Lee um, had been rewritten following the failure of Apocalypse to be set during modern day rather than the 80s, um, which is sure. why Professor X and Storm, because in the original script, Professor X and Storm were going to be in it, and I think Storm was going to take on more of the Cecilia Reyes role. Okay. Uh, that uh, would... I know. Hmm. Um, so needless to say, she probably would not have been eaten by Demon Bear. Right, or evil? Yeah, I don't know. Boone felt the film was not largely affected by this change because of its confined location and the lack of technology meant it might as well be the 80s in terms of the setting. So it does kind of have that timeless feel to it. I mean, sure, but I mean, uh, like setting things two decades apart or three decades apart or four decades apart (laughs) really does affect the way you need to think about things. It does. I think maybe just in terms of production design or like what he would need to change in the script. Yeah, he was like, okay, I remove a cell phone or I add a cell phone. Exactly. 
So now we're in November 2016. The character of Demon Bear is set as the film's main antagonist, with the project aiming for more of a Stephen King meets John Hughes-style horror movie, which, again, sounds really fucking cool. Sure, yeah. Boone noted that Demon Bear was a very personal villain for him as a child because he was raised by very religious parents. They were evangelical Southern Baptists, and they believed in the rapture, they believed the devil was real, they believed in demons, so he was very much like, this is the villain for me. Cool, yeah. All right, now we're in 2017. Fox schedules The Mutant <laughs> for an April 13th, 2018 release. Right. Put that in your back pocket. Okay. All the casting is kind of set in stone. The only thing is that McAvoy, because they had Professor X being in the film, mm-hmm. McAvoy is no longer slated to appear in the film. And unfortunately, during for the next good bit, um, Kenberg, who was a co-producer in this film, is not really present because he is dealing with making Dark Phoenix during all this. Right. So he green lights it and then goes off to make his own movie and then comes back and is presumably unhappy. Sure. And then May of 2017, like, Boone is like, hey, no, we're making a full-fledged horror movie set in the X-Men universe. He's like, there's not going to be any costumes, no supervillains. They want to do something super different. Cool, 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 cool. He has a quote in Entertainment Weekly saying that, like, oh, no, like this is going to be horror. Because I-, I thought I had read something recently where he was like, oh, it was never intended to be full horror. But I found a quote from him from from 2017 in an official Entertainment Weekly article where he's like, no, 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 no. this is like a horror movie. Yeah, everything I had always read had said that it was intended to be a horror film, and it was just a question of how hard a horror film. Exactly. So filming is July 10th, 2017 through September 16th, 2017. They released the trailer a month later in October 2017. And Joe, do you know what happened in September of 2017? (sighs) I can barely remember this year, so no, unfortunately. (laughs) It came out. Okay. Hmm. Which is (laughs) Stephen King meets a touch of John Hughes. A little bit. So basically, um, Boone and his regular editors, Matthew Dunnell and Rob Sullivan, they deliver a cut of the film to Fox that they were happy with. And it did test well, just as well as initial screenings of Deadpool did, supposedly. Now, I would love to talk to those test audience members. (laughs) This is why you can't trust test audiences, folks. (laughs) Yes. Three days of additional photography were planned to complete the quote-unquote YA movie that Boone, Lee, and Fox had agreed to make. Mm-hmm. However, after It came out, which was September 5th, 2017, so It comes out like two weeks before they finish filming The New Mutants. Right. The studio cut the first trailer for the film to focus on the scary elements, which again are mostly in the back half of the film. Mm-hmm. It was a success, and Fox decided to make the film more like Boone's original vision rather than completing the version they had, they had been making during production. So it's like, Fox was like... Before filming and during filming, like, oh, no, don't make it too scary. But yeah. then it comes out and they're like, holy fuck, it made like a hundred plus million dollars opening weekend. We can do yeah. this. And so then Fox is like, OK, never mind. <laughs> oh, man, it's like just a classic case of Hollywood learning the wrong lesson. Like, oh, we've got dollar signs in our eyes. We're, we're OK with changing things now. It's like it's yeah. not about the creative enterprise or even the fact of like, how are we going to market this? It's something else that's not really related and succeeded for completely different reasons. Mm-hmm. Like it succeeded because it's a Stephen King book with a huge fan base, yeah. not because it's horror YA. Yeah, it's really weird. I mean, I, you could even say, because this, this is all after Deadpool came out, but that's also like a super meta, funny, and a risk. That movie was not a guaranteed success. That was yeah. a risk Fox took. Yeah, yeah. And then Logan itself, too. But um, but that's more of like, you know, kind of a drama slash action movie. And I think Fox was just really scared by the horror stuff, which... yeah. 
folks, we are no stranger to that in the genre, are we? <laughs> oh my god, it's got a drop of blood in it. What are we going to do with this movie? Mm-hmm. So, okay, we're still in the April 13th, 2018 release date, but come January 2018, they push it back to February 22nd, 2019, because they wanted yeah. to avoid Deadpool 2's May 18th release date, because... I guess if New Mutants came out in April 2018, it would still be in theaters when Deadpool 2 came out in May 2018. Mm-hmm. So they were like, we don't want two superhero movies in the theater at the same time. Right. And okay. which is funny, though, because Fox wouldn't have been owned by Disney at this point. So it wouldn't have been the same kind of corporate uh, clash that like you would never get that now because Disney as the parent company would be like, no, no, children, you're not releasing these identical films that will cannibalize each other's audiences. But right. it's surprising that they did then. Yeah. So, but here's our release schedule here. So we've got Deadpool 2 in May of 2018. Dark Phoenix is still slated for November 2018. Mm-hmm. And the New Mutants is now February 2019. Okay. Like, that's crazy. I mean, we're seeing films get moved almost a year in advance because of COVID mm-hmm. now. But that was a film where it was like, uh, we just don't want it to be around Deadpool 2. And then we've got this other movie in November. But there's no other times until the following February. Craziness. Like, yeah, they want to make it a summer thing, which I'm just like, why are you I know, like, summer? dudes, August is right there. Mm-hmm. Like, right that's there. when you drop this. <laughs> that's why, again, some of these reasons, I mean, again, like, I, this is all like what I'm pulling from research slash Wikipedia. But it's like, I, I, I'm waiting one day in like 10 years for like a tell-all book to come out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want that, and I also want that Fantastic Four movie. Oh, 100%. <laughs> There's okay. dirt here, people. So again, these all, these dates are all set in January 2018. Flash forward two months to March 2018. Fox moves Dark Phoenix from November to February 2019. Oh my god. So the New Mutants <laughs> then gets pushed from February 2019 to August 2019. There we go. <laughs> Just a year too late. Um, and then they were they were they wanted to do reshoots for it. The reshoots, though, were believed to be more extensive than previously considered. With the studio now wanting at least half of the film to be reshot, Whoa. in addition to changing the tone of the film from YA with horror to horror with YA, they were reportedly adjusting the antagonist subplot in the film because the New Mutants was originally going to feature the SX Corporation in like a higher, I guess, more of a screen presence, right? Because they, it was teased in the post-credit scene of X-Men Apocalypse. And what that scene was, uh, men in black suits visit the Weapon X facility to retrieve an X-ray and a blood sample from Weapon X on behalf of the Essex Corporation. There were rumors that Mr. Sinister was actually cast and was going to be in the film and it was going to be John Hamm. Mm-hmm. Kenberg later said, no, that was never going to happen. So again, it's all hearsay at this point. Oh my god. Okay. Because they were going to put Sinister in the Gambit film, which was eventually cancelled. Oh my god. Remember the Gambit film? <laughs> Again, would watch. I mean, this is the mega. I've this is messy for a studio, right? Like, this is Fox should be ashamed of themselves. I was gonna say this is one of the reasons why Fox probably got gobbled up by Disney because they were being run by a bunch of Looney Tunes with their heads getting chopped off. Yeah. So again, this is March 2018. They the the reshoots can never be scheduled because of everyone's busy schedule. I mean, again, Maisie Williams is on Game of Thrones. Anya Taylor Joy is blowing up. Yeah. This, the, the one guy has Stranger Things. Like mm-hmm. it's. They that other guy it. has maybe something. <laughs> well, he's actually going to be, um, we're talking about Sunspot, the uh, Brazilian guy. He's actually yeah. going to be in The Stand, but that's not filming yet. Well, yeah, but only because it's the same grade. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which I did not know before doing this research. <laughs> Me neither. I, I mean, you see that. Anyway, we'll get there. We'll get yeah. There. Okay, so now basically it's like halted for a year because they're 
Fox is going through the Disney deal. Right. So from March 2018 to March 2019, it is just like in limbo. Like they're going to do reshoots. Nothing is happening. Um, Boone hasn't seen a touch the film in this year. So this is like a year of just dead weight. Yeah. March 2019, Disney acquires Fox. Reshoots had not taken place. And now apparently there were no plans for reshoots because the kids had aged too much by then. I mean, yeah. (laughs) So May of that year, May 2019, Disney pushes the film's August 2nd release date back to April 3rd, 2020. This Mm -hmm. would become what would have been the film's official release date had the pandemic not happened. (laughs) Yeah, it actually, I think, would have come out on time. Yes. On time, in quotation marks, for that one. I mean, that's the thing. This film is filmed in 2017. It's supposed to come out in April 2018. We don't see it until August of 2020, which is insane. Yeah. Reshoots apparently are still scheduled, but Kimberg's like, yeah, the reshoots take to, took so long to schedule because the creative team was still deciding what to reshoot, and then they couldn't get the cast together. So it's like... We know we want reshoots, but we, we just don't know, don't what... know what we're going to reshoot. <laughs> we're, we're, like, exploring our options. Also, we can't get any of these kids back. It's insane. I mean, I, I think Maisie Williams even came out at some point and was like, I don't know what the fuck's going on with that movie. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine just getting asked about this movie for three years? As an actor, you would have no fucking idea. Mm-hmm. So now we're going to go past the summer of 2019, which was just a year ago. (laughs) Makes me sad. (laughs) August 2019, Disney was said to be unimpressed with the New Mutants, believing it had quote-unquote limited box office potential. At the end of the month, this was reported to be Disney's impression of the original cut of the film. So the one that that Boone submitted back in October of 2017. (laughs) Right. Further work had been completed on the film since Disney acquired it along... To align the film with Boone's original vision, and test screenings with these changes have been positive. And I know that they 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 were finally completing the special effects because that's the thing; they hadn't finished the special effects when the merger stuff started, and so Boone couldn't touch the film to even do those. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. so now we're back into this year. This is COVID, March 2020, a month before the film's supposed release date. Boone says the film is complete. He explained the work on the film had halted when Disney's acquisition of Fox had begun, and no reshoots ever took place. Mm -hmm. Um, At that time, around 75% of the film had been edited, while much of the film's visual effects were also not finished. However, by the time the acquisition was completed the previous March, 2019, Boone had moved on and was about to to, to begin work on The Stand, which is about to come out. (laughs) Yeah. Before he started production on that series, Disney asked Boone if he would return to finish the film. So he and his editors, Rundell and Sullivan, were committed to working on The Stand at that point, because he, of course, you'll see a lot of people working on The Stand also worked on The New Mutants. Right. He's got a crew, and he brings them onto his new projects, but it also means you can't dedicate time because you're prepping the new one to go back to the old one. Yep. Um, so they couldn't finish editing it. So Boone brought in editor Andrew Buckland to help finish the film. So now we're looking at three different editors. Mm. The work required to finish the film and Boom Return involved completing the visual effects and editing alongside co-writer Kanate Lee, which took several months. Reshoots for the film could have been scheduled, but Boone found that the cast... Sorry, a repeat again of what I've already said, that aged too much. So what, what we knew a year ago still held true a year later. <laughs> Shockingly enough, the kids didn't regress in age over the last year. <laughs> and then finally... May 2020, oh, because they pull it from the schedule, by the way, because obviously the pandemic happens. May 2020, they're like, fuck it, we're going to release it on August 28th of this year. And Boone does officially say that the cut being released in theaters is his intended version of the film. So, really, they could have released this fucker, like, Mm -hmm. two years ago. 
Yeah, but the problem was it wasn't finished because of that damn murder. So I had had they given him time to finish editing and doing the visual effects of the film, like they could have really released this on time. But all this stuff just fucked it up. Yeah, and I would also argue that one of the other things that ends up contributing to this is that there's a mythology, right? Like we just spent what like 25 minutes going through this Mm -hmm. troubled production history the problem is is like you just have to mention reshoots and people start to flip out and think that the film is bad so then every time it gets delayed every time it gets postponed every time there's a new trailer or teaser people are like wait oh that thing and it it starts to take on a kind of legend to the point where like Disney created this self-fulfilling prophecy where the film probably couldn't have done well because people just had it in their minds. Oh, right. This is that movie from 2017. Mm -hmm. Like it's been fucked forever. Yeah. It's, it's a real shame. And again, like, you know, you're in the, it's fine category, whereas I'm in the good category. And it's just like, I don't know. Like, I I almost wonder what would the reaction have been had it come out in 2018 as originally intended, you know? Right. Yeah. Because we both said we went into this film with expectations that it was going to suck hard. Mm hmm. Yeah, so it's it's a it's a real fuck up. Um, and then when you have the final product, though, so fans of the comics also are not happy with the changes made to some of these characters. So I've already mentioned, you know, that the comic book setting is a bit different, and that you know they already have their like in the in the Demon Bear arc, and they've they've already gotten accustomed to their powers. Blah 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 blah. Basically, they're the big differences. So Lockheed, the little puppet that Ileana has, that's actually in the comics as Kitty Pride's alien dragon. Um, Kitty Pride, by the way, is um Shadowcat. <laughs> right, right. Um, but that's actually her companion. It's an alien dragon, not something that uh, Ileana like can bring to life in her limbo world. Right. The biggest change of the New Mutants, though, is Ileana's backstory. In the comics, she's Colossus's sister, which makes sense given the accent. Right, the Russian. Mm. Yes. When she was six, she was kidnapped and whisked away to the realm of Limbo, where she remained for seven years. And so, basically, in the X-Men world, she returns only seconds later, but for her, it was seven years, so she's 13. Oh my god, X-Men loves to do that kind of shit. See, mm-hmm. also, Bishop. <laughs> yes. Um, and this, so she was called the Queen of Limbo, and she was skilled in black magic, which is why her name is Magic with a K. However, mm-hmm. in the movie, they give her an abuse backstory where she's abused by older men who take advantage of her power, so she creates Limbo. Yeah. And it's her happy place. Um... Which, I don't know. Which I think I actually works in the film if you don't know that she has some other backstory. Well, that's that's the thing. That, again, I didn't read any of this before watching the movie. So watching this movie, I'm like, yeah, I, I buy this. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it maybe is like, okay, she... Because, I mean, it's sexual abuse, right? Like, that's where oh, we're yeah, going with 100%. this. 100%. Yeah. yeah. And so it's kind of like one of those things where it's like, why do, why do you take away this backstory that works and then make it, like, like you said earlier, kind of trauma porn? Now, granted, we don't see the abuse, but... It's obviously implied. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think the reason is, is that they wanted to suggest that all of these children have in some way been broken. Like they are all coming to this school as victims of trauma and their trauma is what makes them suitable candidates for Essex to try to groom into killers. Yeah. Sam, who is the Stranger Things guy, uh, his backstory, again, is more trauma. He like killed his dad and a bunch of people in a mime. That is very different from the comic book, where Sam actually starts working in the mines after his father has already died. When his powers manifest, it's then when he and a co-worker are trapped in the cave and his ability actually saves them, allowing them to escape. Ooh, okay. So they turn him into a de facto murderer in the movie when that is not what happens in the book. And I, I did see some people that took a big issue with that. Yeah, because that is the other thing. All of these kids killed someone. Yes. Well, and so Bobby, which I actually liked Bobby's backstory. If I, 
had, had this been an R-rated movie, like, I fully expected that we would get, like, a flashback to him burning his girlfriend alive. <laughs> Charcoal girlfriend? Yeah. <laughs> um, but his powers are different. Like, his body does turn black when he begins to draw power from the sun, but he doesn't burn people in the comics. Instead, his drawing power comes from the sun's rays, um, and it gives him super strength and then eventually flight. But it doesn't, like, burn people up. His powers in the movie are closer to someone named Magma, with the heat and flame being used as a weapon instead of an energy source. And Magma actually was one of the new mutants that wasn't included in this film. I wonder if it was just kind of like, well, for what we're trying to do, those two characters are too similar, so we're just going to do one and use the powers of the other. Exactly. And I'm saving him and Miss Cecilia Reyes for last, because there's another thing that I want to talk about with them. Um, first of all, Cecilia is a surgeon who appears in a lot of the comic books, and she can't do force fields. The difference is, though, she's not a villain. She doesn't work for Essex Corp. She's actually a, a reluctant X-Men, where she's like, she just wants to live a normal life, but she ends up just kind of, like, sucked into their ordeals a lot. And she's kind of like, ugh, this sucks, but fine, here's my force field. <laughs> Take me off of your speed dial every time you need someone to come in and help you. Mm-hmm. Now, with Bobby and Cecilia, we're going to go with Roberto. There's a race controversy here, because Cecilia Reyes is a Latin American um, originating from Puerto Rico, and Bobby's character is supposed to be Afro-Brazilian. Now, important to note, Rosario Dawson was actually cast as Reyes early in the process. She dropped out, like, before filming began, and they replaced her with Alice Braga. Can you imagine? We would have gotten Nurse Rosario. Nurse Rosario. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why she dropped out. It's for unknown reasons, but I know because she was doing the nurse role on all those Marvel shows, maybe she was like, I'm done. She was like, I'm sick and tired of sticking needles in people. Fuck. Yeah, so they cast a lighter-skinned woman as her. I don't think that controversy was as big as was the one for Bobby. So. Henry Zaga, who plays Bobby, he is Brazilian in real life, but he portrays a character, Sunspot, who's supposed to be Mm Afro-Brazilian. So they... Is it still called whitewashing if it's someone who's not white, but it's a lighter-skinned person? It's colorism. Colorism, okay. Boone did issue a statement on this. This is shit. Like, Boone needed a fucking PR person because this statement is garbage. It's really bad. So he says, My goal was to cast a real Brazilian, and I saw 300 black, brown, lighter-skinned people. I saw every shade of the sun. It was the same case with Blue Hunt, who plays Danny in the movie, and she's an indigenous person. Then he goes, My goal was to find the best actor who, because they've done so little work, was at least the closest to kind of what I saw in my head for the character. Maybe if Henry didn't exist, I would have found somebody who was darker skinned, who exemplified what I needed. But it was never about the color of their skin for me. And that's the issue, right? Because it should also be about the color of their skin. It's representation. Yeah, because if folks don't know, Afro-Brazilian typically means, like, and particularly with this character, means dark-skinned. Like, when you look at examples of this character on the page, he is Mm -hmm. dark black. Yeah. And... Like, I'm sorry, but Zaga can pass for white. Like, you could very easily look at him and not know that he was Brazilian. So for folks to see a very dark-skinned character to be played by an incredibly light-skinned person and then have the director be on the record as saying, you know, it's not even like, oh, I cast the person who was, like, best suited for the role. He's saying, oh, like, I've got all these black friends, and I could only find this light-skinned actor to do it. Well, that's just like, Jesus Christ, buddy. And his first statement is, my goal was to cast a real Brazilian. Okay, but you also should have been casting a real Afro-Brazilian. Like, that that should have been the casting call, right? Yeah, and it it's kind of funny because like they cast anna taylor joy as a russian she's clearly not russian Mm -hmm. the issue here is that 
like, <laughs> we don't have a lot of Afro-Brazilian characters depicted in a big screen yeah. film. So, like, maybe don't go and fuck that one up because people are desperately seeking representation. Like, Russians don't really fucking care about who plays them presumably that we know of right. but like this is a population where they were like it is embedded in the character and the skin color is important so for josh boone to just be like well you know i looked oh but i just couldn't <laughs> find one you're like fuck off i think the thing for me is when he's like well if henry didn't exist then i guess i would have found somebody and it's like okay dude like <laughs> yeah we get it you want to fuck him let's move on <laughs> dude and he's a very attractive person and i totally get that yeah, I do think one of the other things that people took issue with is the latter part of that quote, where Boone says that he wanted to represent Brazil in a positive way, and he wanted to find someone who seems like he could look like a guy who's had a silver spoon in his mouth, who has like a really rich dad, and Henry just exemplified all these things. So he's basically suggesting that if you were a dark-skinned person, it wouldn't be believable that you could come from a rich family. Whereas a lighter skinned person could believably be rich. Holy shit. <laughs> I didn't have that part of the quote. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Not good. Oh my god. Ugh. That's, I mean, it, it's, because I'll, I'll, I'll even tie this into to the next thing with Ileana and her racism. Because it's a thing where it's, okay, he may, he may not have known. But the thing is, when people tell you, mm. you should acknowledge it and react to it and not just kind of, like, double down on your stance of defending it, you know? Yeah, like, maybe don't double down on ignorance. That's just not a good policy. Right. Like, I can get it. You know, he made a mistake. He didn't know what he was doing. And that that is a problem in and of itself. But, you know, if he can just say, oops, my bad. That's yeah, like, I really right? fucked up. Just say that. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> we took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. But, and so, then going into the script, though, so I, I didn't pick up on, I mean, I did pick up on it watching the film, but Ileana does use a lot of racial, not even, not slurs per se, but like a lot of racial quotes um, when when talking to Danny. Oh, yeah, because there's a part where Danny confronts her to say, oh, Pocahontas is the best you've got. That was really popular for five years. There is a super cut that someone did, but they, they filmed it actually in the movie theater um, of like all of Ileana's racist stuff. But it basically is like, you know, Ileana calls Danny Standing Rock. Like you said, Pocahontas. She mentions how you people love Buffalo. Uh, yeah. But the one that got me in, because I mean, again, like I, I did hear those and I'm like, okay, but it, it's kind of like, um, I don't know. I mean, I'll, I'll tie it in like the Harley Quinn show where there's anti-Semitic anti-semitic when there's anti-semitic remarks and jokes made in harley quinn but i don't mm -hmm. pick up on them because i'm not like trained to pick up on those because i'm not jewish and have never like you know it's like how people don't always pick up on homophobic dialogue right yeah like you you need to be cued to it and then you'll start to hear it in places and you'll realize oh wow this is more pervasive than i realized but oftentimes if we're not the ones identifying we need someone to be to activate us in that first instance right but the other thing with this and i, I did not pick up on this at all but when she asked danny to show her where daddy touched her like using the using lockheed the lockheed puppet mm -hmm. it makes fun of sexual trauma that that is very common among indigenous women yeah and so that also was another thing where it's just like, I don't know, like, 
Yeah, it's it's tone deaf. And part of the issue is that they're trying, like, they very clearly categorize Ileana as the asshole or the bitch of the group. Mm -hmm. So you can watch the film and say, okay, well, that's in keeping with her character. Like, she probably is a racist Russian character. Mm -hmm. But it's hard when you remove that element and you say, okay, but this is upsetting for audiences who, you know, like, went to the movies and were looking to have a good time and thought, hey, I also get this indigenous lead character, like, again not seeing that too often in a big budget Hollywood film. Mm -hmm. And they then have to put up with all of these fucking racist comments that they themselves maybe have heard throughout their lives. Like that sucks. It does. And also it's like, you know, okay, well we're going to have this character be bullied by a white woman and then also become her friend later. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like at the drop of a hat. (laughs) And granted, Ileana is, I mean, again, from what I can have read about her character in the comics, she is very standoffish and whatever, but she was never, racist like you can have her be a bully and be kind of mean without dipping into the racial stuff yeah like "Mm, okay how can we prove that this character is a bitch let's just make her a racist what a great transition it's shorthand and again though that that is from boone and lee's script so Mm -hmm. i mean that's on them for writing that yeah um so there's trouble characterizations in here so anyway, so this movie finally comes out August 26, 2020, um, 94-minute runtime. Its budget is between 67 and $80 million. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a range. It does open in the number one slot with $7 million, and it ends up grossing $23.7 million. It's actually knocked out of the number one spot the next week by Tenet, which went on to make $20 million opening weekend. Right. International gross is $22.1 million with a worldwide gross of $45.8 million. And it is now on DVD and Blu-ray, so if you haven't seen it and you're curious, um, go see it, I guess. Go watch it. I mean, that's why we're covering it. That's why we're covering it. It's not available, because <laughs> oh. we sure as fuck didn't go to theaters. <laughs> Critics pretty much panned it. We're looking at a 33% on Rotten Tomatoes, with an average score of 4.7 out of 10. And on Letterboxd, we've got a score of 4.8 out of 10. A little bit lower than I expected. But yeah, I think if you went into this expecting the worst, you might feel like it confirmed your fears. What did you end up giving this? I gave it two and a half. Okay, I, I gave it a three and a half. I mean, again, I, I might be leaning more towards a three. I did rewatch the second half of the movie today. But I, I still, like, even on, like, a second watch, I still, I still quite enjoyed it. All right, so... Plot of New Mutants, we're going to go a bit abbreviated because that production history was lengthy and important. (laughs) It's a more technical episode for us, but you know what? I'm okay with it because I I honestly, like, I needed to know all of that (laughs) before watching this movie. As I said, this is a cursed episode. Yes, it is. Okay, so we open with an exciting kind of action sequence where Danny, who is played by Blue Hunt, and her father, Adam Beach, who you would not know this, but Adam Beach is a super esteemed, very famous and recognizable Canadian actor. I was waiting for you to say Canadian. <laughs> yeah, he, he's like, like, if you need an indigenous character of a certain age, he is the guy you go to. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, very famous from a Nicolas Cage film as well. Okay. Uh, okay, so Danny and her father end up escaping from their reservation because it is on fire and seemingly under attack. He is then killed in the woods, and she is hunted to the point where she collapses unconscious. Fun little cut tooth for her doing that, and then we wake up and she's in the... Institute? Institution? Yeah, I think so. So she is greeted by Dr. Ray's, as we said, Alice Braga, and... Braga's performance is 
interesting to me because she plays everything very close to the vest. You know, I feel like she's supposed to be like this kind of emotionless character. I do think that her about face turn at the end is a bit like I wanted more. Like I know oh, you she's... wanted her to be bigger. Uh, well, I mean, it's I feel I know she's just following orders. Like she's doing like the the Ash robot thing from Alien, mm-hmm. but she's not a robot, <laughs> right? And so you're like, okay, like cool, she's gonna like euthanize Danny later. But like it, when they finally face her down, it's like she's she's almost a completely different character where she's yeah. like mustache twirling. Yeah, and that that was some of the stuff where I did wonder. I mean, I know Boone has said that this is what he shot of the film he envisioned, but it does feel like there are scenes missing where. The rays that we see in the beginning part of the film doesn't feel like the rays at the end. And I think that there are scenes missing where she either grapples with the yeah. implications. Yeah, or I would have liked the grappling. I, I would have liked the grappling scene. Because when she gets the, the, the euthana- euthanasia order, mm-hmm. she like halts for a second and then goes, all right, puts yeah. in her code. I guess we'll just do this then. <laughs> yeah, it's fast. It's speeding. Yeah. So basically she is told, you know, hey, you're a mutant, something happened, you're the only survivor, let's go meet the rest of the kids. Mm -hmm. So they go to group therapy, we're introduced to everybody. Initially, I do think one of my issues with the film in particular is that we just keep getting reintroduced to the kids in different contexts. So like Mm -hmm. this initial version, you almost, everybody's almost presented from their country of origin. So it's like, here's Ileana, she's Russian. Here's Bobby, he's oh. Brazilian. Here's Kentucky, Sam, and here's Scottish Rain. Oh, that sounds like a <laughs> that sounds like a Bath and Body Works. I like it. Um, no, you're right, though, because it's, it's country of origin, then the next one is like, oh, here's the powers. Yeah, exactly. Oh, and then oh, it's oh. like, what's your trauma? <laughs> yeah, okay, you know what? You're right, I'll give it to you. This first scene, I mean, I know that they've listed Breakfast Club and Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors as an influence, right. but obviously this feels very indebted to Dream Warriors. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Even down to some of the styling, I did mention it feels like a late 80s film, and you can see that John Hughes, but also, yeah, like, oh, which which one of you has had dreams about a man with finger knives? <laughs> So right off the bat, we get clarity that Rain is some kind of shapeshifter. We see it from her POV, and we learn that this is the story of her first time. And I thought that that was an important phrase to note, because Mm -hmm. it suggests both a sexual maturity that we come to associate with mutants, but also, for me, because her story is so ingrained and entangled with religion and homosexuality, I was like, okay, so this is like her coming out story as well. What I do like too, because Rain is not a lesbian or queer in the novel, in the in the comics. So I actually do applaud Boone and Lee for like, just being like, no, we're going to put this in here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he definitely said that it was part of the reason that he, like you mentioned that he was attracted to the Demon Bear storyline. Mm-hmm. And he said that his religious upbringing also influenced this piece where uh, he was very interested in exploring religion and uh, basically how it fucks you up. And hmm. this is also how he ended up luring Maisie Williams to this per- to this role. I mean, look, you're an actor. You're an up-and-coming actor. Like, again, some of these kids are more famous than others. But you're not going to, like, say no to this deal. No you don't what. think so? I don't think so. You don't think, think it's so. risky to play a teenage lesbian who shapeshifts into a wolf? In, like, a major studio blockbuster that's based off of a really popular comic book. Yeah, right. Fair. <laughs> like, I get where you're coming from, but like, I'm, mine is going for like, okay, how much exposure can I get from this? 
Yeah, that's fair. I've also been following Maisie Williams's career, and she's the kind of actress who has a fuck it attitude where mm -hmm. if the role is interesting to her, she will take it. It doesn't really matter what she thinks it'll do for her career. It's really interesting, too, because I mean, you know, because Sophie Turner, her Game of Thrones co star, is Jean Grey, Dark Phoenix. Mm -hmm. They're both, I actually, like, as people, like, how they portray themselves on social media is so endearing. Yes. And it's really funny to me that, like, out of all the Stark kids, like, the girls are the ones that have come out, like, the most, not only most popular, but the most likable and the most successful. Yeah, it's interesting that Game of Thrones hasn't been able to turn those people into the kind of perceived stars that they are. But I can only say that I'm not surprised that Kit Harington is struggling because holy shit, is that guy a bad actor? I know. And granted, I know he has his own issues like with like uh, mental illness and stuff, which really sucks. But mm -hmm. he, yeah, he's not a good actor. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy, do not see that Jeffrey P. Donovan movie. Awful. Um, don't see Silent Hill Revelation where he's the love interest of the main girl. Oh, no. <laughs> it's really bad. <laughs> uh, okay, so, um, yeah, we get the tour of this facility. It's kind of gorgeous, but also under lockdown. We learn it's literally under lockdown by a giant dome that Danny runs into. Mm -hmm. There's a weird, uncomfortable scene where it seems like she might die by suicide until rain prevents it no that that is 100 no it, it's not seeming like it she is going to kill herself i just i i ooh. again i was like we are going from zero to 60 way too quickly well may, may, maybe that's the thing you know because again we're looking at an 86 minute movie that is dealing with a lot of really serious issues and heavy themes and it's not really giving the time of day to like explore them like mm -hmm. again like these kids are defined by their trauma i don't mind the suicide this attempted suicide scene as much as you do because i kind of do like that your gay religious character is the one that like pulls her back from the ledge yeah i do like that too yeah, I mean, it's a nice little reversal. Because, again, in a normal quote-unquote film, you'd have the gay one that's just contemplating suicide. Exactly. And yeah. I like that Rain, despite her religious upbringing, is still comfortable with her sexuality, which is, again, not something you really see. No, and she's also the most level-headed character of the yeah. bunch, right? P.S., what do we think of all the accents in this film? Does everyone get away scot-free? I feel like Maisie Williams is doing the best. It doesn't always come through consistently. I don't mind the Boris and Natasha. I like it. <laughs> yeah, like it sounds very, this is not actual Russian. This is what we think Russian sounds like. But I was kind of fine with it. It is consistent. I actually think Heaton's Kentucky is the most obnoxious. Oh, I mean, I I understand the controversy around Zaga. But I definitely thought, again, why can't you just cast a legitimate Southerner or somebody who can do it more convincing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he is really... also not good in this movie maybe it's just because the character's so mopey he has nothing to do yeah like the the the, the male characters in this film are very underserved now i don't yeah. mind that per se because i find the female characters more interesting in general i just think you've got so few characters in this movie don't you want to make them all interesting it, but and that's where that really short runtime comes into play i know again again people like i love a short runtime Ooh, i love an under 90 minute runtime but not at the expense of character development. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> okay. Um, so yeah, so we learned a little bit more about everybody and this is where it's kind of like who who has what type of personality. Right. And then we're into the scares. So we've got this laundry room sequence, which is very much tied to Danny's first nightmare and her psionic energy spiking. <laughs> um, I think this is fine. It's, yeah, it's okay interesting it's mostly well shot uh sure. i actually think boone does direct this film fairly well 
Yeah. Um, I don't find any of the action sequences, like, I was telling Brian after I watched this that I didn't really feel my adrenaline spike. Like, I wasn't on the edge of my seat, but I thought, okay, well, it doesn't look terrible, and I can follow what's happening very easily. Yeah, when we get to the ending with the smiley man, I think I'll have more to say on that, because I I, I do I do agree with you. Mm-hmm. But I remember you had told me that you weren't really, like, involved. Like, you were kind of like, oh, yeah, this is entertaining, but I'm not really, like... Yeah. Compelled compel yeah. by anything happening on screen. I was a bit more so. And I think that my, I don't want to say my adrenaline got going in the end, but like I was definitely involved in the end of this film once the action starts ramping up. But we uh, about Okay. Hmm. Okay. Well, we'll talk about it. So then we've got this girl shower room sequence. We've got Rain's tattoo. A little bit more on her. Do we like this? I like this. I think this is really cute. <laughs> what, the meat cute in the shower room? Yeah. I mean, they've already met cute, but, like, I kind of, like, yeah. I mean, it's a little weird because it's, like, children in the shower, but I like their conversations with each other. Yeah, I mean, I like that the movie is very obviously cueing you. Like, this is a sexualized situation, if only because they're both naked, but also because you're meant to consider them sexually viable for each other. So I I was happy that the queer romance is very evident right from the beginning. I mean, and you know, it's I'm reiterating what I said earlier, but yeah, you're right. It this like you said, there's no subtext. It this just is in this major blockbuster film. Yeah. And again, the more I think about it, the more I'm just like, I really wonder if this was Disney's issue with the film, but I mean quite it, possibly. We'll never know. We uh, not not for the immediate future. Right. <laughs> and just in case you weren't picking up on those lesbian vibes, we do have uh, a little snippet of Tara and Willow's relationship from Buffy playing on the oh my God. On TV. <laughs> okay. I will never like say no to putting Buffy in a movie but it's so on the nose right yeah I mean that's why I said it's like a little heavy-handed here like hey are you getting it (laughs) here's an iconic (laughs) contemporary lesbian relationship like possibly one of the most visible ever created for teens yeah just plopped in there not once but twice (laughs) listeners if you have not watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer or at least you don't know the history of Willow um man Mm -hmm. watch it read about it it's a it's a pretty iconic and seminal text at least for in like a queer tv history although i do totally want to go legally blonde in you and be like really we're going to call it seminal when we're talking about lesbian shouldn't it be like <laughs> ovenal the winter ovester <laughs> <laughs> i just rewatched legally blonde recently and that line still gets me it's still good and you do realize actually the genealogy of a lot of words are fucking patriarchal mm-hmm 100 percent the winter ovester <laughs> i love it love it um okay so this is where we get our first hint of the smiling men after both danny and iliana are sent to solitary and we hear iliana talking to lockheed who is the puppet about her experiences i will confess i actually thought because i knew demon bear was a thing in this movie and that it was what had like you know tore apart her reservation at the beginning of the film right i actually thought it was demon bear doing all this the entire time because i didn't know anything about danny's powers going into this movie yeah so i will confess one of the things that colored my film experience is that i went onto the wikipedia page to get the actors and the character names so that i wasn't writing boy from stranger things (laughs) and it explicitly says in there like it's not even in the plot description it's like danny's power is inducing nightmares in other people (laughs) oh well "Ah, well fuck okay (laughs) Didn't realize that was going to be a major thing. Thanks. I also, okay, I mean, well, no, I'll wait till we get to the bear, because I have thoughts about the bear, too. Okay. 
<laughs> That's the subtitle of this episode. Thoughts I have about thoughts the about the bear. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, so we continue to see that Dr. Braze is monitoring this. Every time Danny goes to sleep, we're seeing that her psionic activity is spiking. Uh, the people on the computer that are mysterious still are very interested. They want more tests. They want more samples. They want her to be monitored. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. Uh, so we go to the attic for a game of truth, no dare, with a lie detector, and this is where we get everybody's trauma. So I liked this scene, but yeah, I do is... too. This is very Breakfast Club to me. Yeah, we drugged our teacher. We have a little montage party, then we go to the attic. Oh, I actually I said the exact same thing. I turned to my husband. and I was like, Oh yeah, this feels Breakfast Club when they're like like wheeling a cart through the halls and shit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's fun, right? Yeah. I actually almost would have liked a little bit more joy in these parts. Right. Like, they're brief, so you have to savor them. Yeah, and I mean, it's also because Ileana is just like, no, meh, meh, meh. Yeah, like, stop having fun. I want to tell you about the 18 men I killed. <laughs> yeah, that. <laughs> okay, Ileana, we get it. You're a badass bitch. <laughs> Uh, but this is where we first hear of the demon bear. So Danny explains the concept that her pendant represents the small amount of fear that she had as a child. And then as you get older, your fears get bigger. Cue large bear at the end. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's the thing, right? So whenever people were talking about demon bear, they're always, like, oh my God, it's the demon bear. It's so awesome. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, it's not really a bear, though. It's just her fucking power that she can't control. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's a manifestation. <laughs> yeah, which, I mean, again, I think in a movie that was maybe trying to go a little bit deeper, like, you could do something with that. But this isn't really a deep film. Not so much, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we start to learn that everybody is suffering from nightmares. They're becoming more pervasive. Ray's is still drugging people. We're getting more backstory. Um, I do like the cross-cutting scenes where Danny and Rain sneak out through the vent and go to the cemetery and watch the the storm and how that's um, cross-cut with Birdo's not sexual hookup with Ileana in the pool. I, I actually did really like this. A, we also get a queer kiss, which, I mean, again, it's not just like, oh, yeah, they're, that their romance. We're getting a fucking, like, kiss between two women in this movie. It's so great. It's not chaste. Like, no. I'm not going to say it's, like, the most heavily sexualized kiss ever, but, like, it's not one kiss. It's multiple kisses. And it's not shied away from. And that's I nice. think, I mean, I think Hunt and Williams actually do have a really good chemistry in they this. They do. I, I, yeah. I, I mean, we're saying this a lot. I want more. I wanted more scenes of them. Mm-hmm. But it's, we get enough of this relationship to where in the end, when it's like rain and like trying to get through to Danny, mm-hmm. like all, I buy into all of that at the end of this film because of that. Now, I don't buy into fucking Sam when he had to use his powers all of a sudden. I but barf, yeah. But but this pool scene, I actually did really like this too. And I thought the shot of like the burned hand coming up to get him, like, I, it, Let's talk about this, actually. So the okay. horror... I read a lot of reviews where it was like, okay, the horror doesn't mesh well with the YA stuff. Like, it feels very tacked on. I don't buy that at all. I yeah, I actually thought that it... I mean, I did want more of the horror stuff. I could have gone on for lengthier set pieces or maybe even better constructed set pieces. Right. But this all... I think my biggest surprise of this movie is that it did feel like one singular vision that wasn't hacked to bits. Mm-hmm. And that the tones, for the most part... Gel well together. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because even from the moment that she wakes up, there's a there's an insidious nature about this institute with oh, yeah. the locked doors and you know, you keep wondering where the fuck is everybody else? 
Mm-hmm. Something is not connecting. Like, there's paranoia and a little bit of dread built into this from the very foundation. And, I mean, that to me sounds like people who need to watch more YA horror or, like, maybe read more YA horror. Because I 100% think that this is doing what it needs to do and it doesn't feel totally different to but me. that's kind of the thing, though, right? Like, I mean, no offense to most horror fans, but a lot of horror fans are going to stick their nose up at YA, right? Um, I mean, a lot of adults stick their nose up at right. YA because they feel like I mean, it's too juvenile. But yeah, granted, then you divide it into a subcategory. Horror is already a hard sell for a lot of people. So right. put YA and horror together, it's like... Mur. But it's all right. I don't mean to generalize the entire horror audience. I'm talking about the people that call the PG-13 rating the Pussy 13 rating. Like those right. people. Which, which, again, unfortunately are a bunch of straight white men making up the bulk of that. Actually, no, I'm sorry, straight men, not even white. But I know that, I mean, like, I I like the YA stuff. I was was fucking there, Fault in Our Stars, opening weekend, seeing that shit in theaters. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because the thing is, is people people need to understand that typically with YA texts, you're just painting with slightly larger brush brush strokes. Yeah. There we go. Mm -hmm. Um, So, like, you know, I made fun of the fact that there's a lot of you know, we said on the nose-ness that the metaphors are pretty clear. Mm. But that's also the 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 narrative mode that YA is trafficking in because everything is larger than life in YA. So, like, the stakes are always life and death, even when it's something as simple as Mean Girls, where you're like, oh, I don't fit in, and these girls are being nasty to me. Yeah. So it that actually all feels very representative. Like, you know, Birdo's inability to make out with a girl without potentially killing them, that is high stakes. Like, yeah. I think that works to me. The problem is, is it's just not fleshed out enough here. Right, no, I mean, yeah, you, you get the idea in the pool scene and that's it. It's not really, like, mm-hmm. they don't do anything else with that beyond that one scene, really. Yeah, but I will say, like, apart from the slightly dodgy FX of this creature design mm-hmm. when it actually comes out of the pool, yeah. I actually think that this is one of the scarier moments in the film. It is. I mean, I, I, you're right. I, honestly, the creepiest part is the hand coming uh, up to touch I his back. It. It's No, it's really great, and it's shot really well. Like, mm-hmm. I, I love a pool set piece. <laughs> yes, obviously. But yeah, once it lights on fire and it starts screaming at him, it's kind of like, all right, like, all you right. blew your load a little bit. A little bit, Yeah. Although I did like that uh, Ray's just kind of comes in and pushes him into the pool. Oh. <laughs> like, God, kid, you're on fire, and there's a body of water right there. There is one other really funny moment with him later, though, where he's doing... Because he's constantly doing the dishes for everyone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, like, when the thing comes up behind the smiley man comes up behind him, and he just flips out and goes, whoa! And, like, bust, yeah. like blows this thing away. <laughs> yeah. Good thing it was actually a creature, not one of the other kids. Yeah, right. <laughs> Um, okay, so this incident is very traumatic for a lot of people. Ileana freaks out. She gets sent back to solitary. This happens quite frequently in the film. Yeah, a little bit. Um, but this is also, I think, where we're meant to not... We're, we're meant to start really actively distrusting Rays. Well, and it's also... This is when Ileana calls out Danny, saying, I know what happened. It's it's Danny. Danny's the one doing this. So then we kind of have, kind of have a thing where she's like trying to turn everyone against Danny, but then that, that doesn't really come to anything. Well, it, it happens a couple of times. So here, this is where she says, Raze, you're not a real doctor. We shouldn't be in here. Something else is happening. And then we have like a, another sort of whole day where we have to see Danny have her weird flashback where she can see things happening at Essex. We've got 
Rain and Ileana uh, both get attacked in their separate rooms. So Rain gets attacked in the shower room by this reverend and Ileana gets attacked by a smiling man. And at that point, that's where Ileana is like, uh, it's Danny. She's going to kill us all. Right. And then, oh yeah. Cause she tries to bring Danny into like her limbo world, but then Danny like puts a, the smiley man, like she creates the smiley man mask on her face and it freaks yeah. out Ileana. Yeah. She, yeah. she basically sees into Ileana's mind and is like, uh, yep, I'm going to use that to get out of this. Yeah. I was conflicted on like, cause again, we have a lot of Maisie Williams in the shower here and she's attacked again, mm-hmm. <laughs> which again, kind of reminds me of Nightmare on Elm Street too, to be honest. Yeah. A little bit of Mary Lou prom night too kind of action. Too. Yeah, no. Oh, you're absolutely right. I, I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not going to say that Boone has seen those movies, but maybe he has, who knows, but it's still like, yeah, this man, this lecherous man, priest man coming in to brand her on her neck in the mm-hmm. shower this poor girl in the shower as, as the steam explodes mm-hmm. yeah. oh god <laughs> yeah it, it's meant to be very uncomfortable i think the other thing is that Maisie williams because of when this was filmed she still looks really young what's well, the haircut too the haircut, right yeah she looks just very vulnerable in some of these scenes yeah it's it's a lot it's a lot mm-hmm which is funny because Amy Taylor looks exactly the same. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yes, she does. <laughs> I was like, wait, which one of the kids grew up? Oh, it's probably Danny and uh, Rain. They're the ones that got too old. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so this is where we get the that fill-in bit on Ileana's backstory. This is also where she and Danny just magically become friends for no good reason. Cool. Yeah, like Danny just walks in to, to get her food or something, right? And then mm-hmm. just... She's nice to her. Yeah, she just kind of plops down and says, hey, tell me your story. And then Ilian is like, well, I was sexually abused. <laughs> Bam. <laughs> I mean, again, it's like, it's like I, I, it's... I think the film mostly treats it with a respectful amount of horrifying. Like, mm-hmm. it, it's very uncomfortable to watch again, particularly when we see it later when she and Sam see yeah. her, a childlike version of her and the smiling man comes. Um, yeah. I think the film is doing a relatively decent job of exploiting sexual and religious trauma, but it is still like, there's a lot of trauma here. Well, it is. But I think maybe the issue is that it is a lot of shorthand. Like, I mean, not shorthand in the sense they're not like explaining to you, like what's happening here, but it, it because we have to get to the big bear climax, like mm-hmm. we're not spending too much time. But again, like, you know, if you go into Ileana's sexual abuse history, like that's going to be an R rating, you know, like you can't go into right. that too much in a PG-13 film. So I guess, yeah. Well, it's kind of like what you're saying about YA being more broad. Yeah. Um, that's we're going broad with childhood sexual abuse which again may not be the best idea but here it is well or that's your entire narrative like there's a really famous ya book called speak which has been adapted into a great film trace you should watch this because it stars kirsten stewart Mm -hmm. and it's really really powerful but like the whole thing is that it's about a sexual assault and that's what the story is yeah that makes there are other things going on but instead we have five characters of trauma to go exactly. through in 86 minutes yeah um so we're up to the point where Ray's becomes a supervillain. she gets that <laughs> order by essex to kill danny and danny's like i'm just gonna go along with this because i think i can get more information <laughs> yeah. uh oops so this is where we got our second buffy clip from hush just <laughs> to really reinforce oops danny made the wrong decision and now she can't speak out to save herself well and then it also like i mean i i do like the smiley man stuff but it's also like oh i wish i was watching hush right now with these other tall creepy men <laughs> 
Yeah, with better prosthetic work as opposed to FX. I was going to say, um, with prosthetic work, period. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So there is this amazing scene where Rain sneaks through the vents and then falls down onto Ray's. It's a little bit hokey in the way that, like, Weapon X in the Logan film looked, Mm -hmm. where it's like a kid jumping on an adult and making stabbing motions. Yeah, I so I I actually did like this. It's it was a bit more brutal than I thought. Like she fucking cuts her face up. Yeah, it doesn't look super impressive here, but then mm. when you actually see Ray's kind of stumbling down the hallways or when she when they finally go and and deal with her properly, yeah. she's really bloody. <laughs> we also get this whole monologue from Reyes about like euthanizing her rabid dog and stuff, which honestly well, Danny should have been like, Oh wait, I see where this is going like way sooner. <laughs> yeah, like let me activate your nightmare, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> which we don't really get one for her, right? Mm-hmm. Oh. No. And and it almost made me question whether Danny's immature power was only able to activate children's. Maybe. Oh, that that's actually, I mean, the movie doesn't tell us that, but no, I, absolutely I'll, I'll, I'll buy into that reading. Cool. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So Ray's is fucked. Rain. No. Ray's mm-hmm. is fucked. Rain has saved Danny. And this is where the smiling men begin to appear everywhere. So I, I really do like this. I, I wish... I almost wish it wasn't intercut with everything else mm-hmm. because I, I wish there was more of like an, because we get kind of a chase scene here, right? But it's intercut with Rain saving Danny, Reyes yeah. getting away. And it so worked we... better when we had the Birdo scene in the pool intercut with Danny and Rain in the cemetery. Here yes. it feels like, no, I want to see both of these, but uh, like you're losing power by cutting across. Yeah, or even have like longer. Yeah. segments before you cut you know but i do like i like a lot of like when, especially when sam's like it's not real it's not real it's not real and then it just gets closer and closer and closer i think mm-hmm. there were some really and, and again like you said the, the the child version of iliana as the man comes near her yeah i really like a lot of it but yeah i wanted more like i wanted to see more i wanted the horror to be a bit more intense here but that being said i do still like it i don't know yeah, I will admit the unbelievability of the FX took me out. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, they look bad. You know, yeah, yeah, like it looks bad. It's not convincing, but I did. I, it made me wish that they had have hired somebody like a Doug Jones. Well, I mean, that's the thing, right? Like you're, you're shoving Hush, which uses like, honestly, don't even have them be like the shrieking monsters. Just make them have this really creepy grin on their face when they take the mask off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the mask itself is actually more unsettling than when they just become random CGI creatures with well, sharp teeth. The mask, it's like the strangers, but then the sharp teeth, it's like Slenderman or something. Oh, God. Oof. Um. Oh, funny fact, though, Marilyn Manson does their voices. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. That's unexpected. I mean, very on point. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we just get like a bunch of scenes where the kids, you know, fight them off and then they end up reconnecting. They realize that if they're going to get out of this, they need to break the bubble, which means killing Rays because she's obviously the one controlling the dome. I liked this standoff as she like slowly smothers all of them. Yeah, I did like that. My like logistic brain was thinking, okay, but she's seriously wounded and she's hypothetically powering that giant dome all the time. Yeah. I was just like, oh, wow, okay, she's really strong, I guess. But um, Well, she's not a new mutant, Joe. 
This is true. Yeah, she's mature mood. <laughs> she's Dr. Cecilia motherfucking Reyes. Reyes, yeah. <laughs> Just imagine Rosario Dawson in this role, though. Oh my god, I know. Well, <laughs> I, I actually that that would have been a change for her, right? Because we call her Nurse Rosario Dawson because she acts like Rosario Dawson in every movie she's in. Right. To see her go like villainous might have been really fun. Mm-hmm. Although maybe that's why she didn't take it. Maybe she was like, "Oh, I don't do villains." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the closest I come is Sin City. <laughs> Yes. Uh, okay, so this is where the demon bear is introduced. And I will confess, I really did enjoy this. Yeah. <laughs> this introduction, I guess, to this character who just bursts through the wall and noshes down mm, some some raised dinner. It's, um, it was unexpected. I mean, I knew it was coming. And I love the, the cue we get when it's like perimeter breach. Because again, right. Danny just creates this thing mm-hmm. in her mind. Which, okay, because they mentioned the tornado in the first scene, but obviously it was really Demon Bear. Do we think maybe there actually was a tornado and the fear of it brought Demon Bear out? Or did she just conjure Demon Bear somehow in the beginning of the film? I think she just conjured it. Like, that was her power starting to manifest and it Mm -hmm. was coming out uncontrollably in her dream. Gotcha. But yes, I I loved this thing, like, eating the fuck out of Alice Brock. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. If it, I'm glad that it managed to stay more action horror as opposed to comedy. Like, there is comedy to it because it's so unexpected. Mm-hmm. But I was actually worried, particularly when I saw it, that it was going to look like a Legends of Tomorrow villain. Yeah, I can see that for sure. And the concept of this thing too, and obviously I know because New Mutants was created in 1982, so it's before this, but it just reminds me of, have you ever seen James and the Giant Peach? Uh, yes, but not for a long, long time. Okay, so when his parents die, but his aunt, his evil aunts tell him that it's a giant rhinoceros comes out of the clouds and ate and killed his parents. And oh, it's just God. like, so the image of this demon bear is very reminiscent of the cloud rhino that's in James and the Giant Peach. Okay, interesting. But that's it. There's no more to that. Okay, cut. <laughs> and that is all. I so then we get a big, like a, like a 15 minute fight scene. More or less. I mean, I, when I was looking to cut down the notes, I basically just say, and then we get a climax where everybody fights it and they just play keep away with Danny because she's unconscious. Well, because she's unconscious because she retreated in her mind into the little tree she was hiding in the beginning. So then, of course, we have to have every all the other four mm-hmm. come like use their powers to de- to fight this bear. I did. Did you like or roll your eyes hard at that bear's magic? So am I. <laughs> uh i actually quite liked it i, did I i'm a, a huge anna taylor joy fan mm. like i've liked her in everything i've seen her in and i actually think she's really good in this no she is really she, again i her and uh, Maisie williams and honestly blue hunt we haven't talked too much about blue hunt but because she she's the protagonist of the she, film yeah but i would argue that she's not boring except when the film has to make her weak which is well, yeah, unfortunate which but is it's like it's what the role is right exactly and i think there is a whole thing because because magic does kill demon bear in the comic she like slices it in half with her sword right which would have been really cool to see mm-hmm. um demon bear actually does incapacitate danny like, like breaks her bones and spine and shit oh gosh okay yeah so yeah the um the impact of the fight sequence here it I would have liked a little bit more high stakes. I actually thought that they were going to kill at least one of the kids. And mm. then it it seems like nobody gets more than a couple of scratches. Yeah. I mean, because magic does the most and then she's kicked out. So then like Cannonball flings himself into it once and he's done. Oh my God. Useless. <laughs> Absolutely useless. 
Sunspot does flyer. Oh, I do love that reveal, though, when Rain's like, she sees him under the pew. Like, what are you doing? Hiding, just like you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there are some pretty good quips. If nothing else, these actors do have good chemistry. And mm-hmm. I liked that at this point, we can just dispense with the, oh, we don't like each other. We don't trust each other. It's like, oh, fuck. Okay, we're in this. So yeah, let's just I almost, do it. I almost like that we don't have that moment where they all look at each other and like, we have to work together. Like, mm-hmm. it, it's it's a refreshing omission from this film. Yeah, and in a way, it's nice that they each give it their own individual go. Like, yeah, okay, I, mean, I guess it's my turn, because if nobody else does something, then we're all going to die. So right. I'll activate and, my cannonball power. And I, I did like Rain just jumping on this thing and just, like, stabbing the fuck out of it. And I actually have the, the stakes, though. Well, maybe not, because it keeps cutting away, mm-hmm. um, because we have, we have to go through Danny's awakening. But, like, yeah. as, as this bear is, like, eating on the wood, getting closer and closer to Rain, like, I think I think Boone could have maybe filmed that in a way that felt more like, oh, shit, like, she's so close to it. <laughs> Yeah, there, that's actually very much a problem. I would say that's this is hard, right? Because it is a giant action sequence, but I didn't, A, didn't ever feel like anyone was ever in danger. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the closest we get is when Birdo actually gets stomped on. And I thought, oh, okay, they're actually going to kill him. And then he's just fine. Well, yeah. Yeah. But then when Rain is kind of in danger of being gobbled up in the top of the church there, I... I could barely tell how close it was to her because of the framing of like the Mm. shot. Um, And also I was like, well, you're not going to kill Maisie Williams. So I'm not convinced, but also uh, the close-ups of the snout, those, those are opportunities for practical effects and they do not, you just make a snout, man. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually thought that demon bear looks pretty okay. Mm Mm-hmm. Except for that shot where she come, she wakes up, Danny does, and she tames him and, it, it was not good. Yeah, I mean, the, the whole ending is like, oh, face your fears. Mm-hmm. It's all going to be okay. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it is what it is. We all knew it was coming. Um, I do think this film suffers in part a little bit by, like, you know what's going to happen. And look, it happened. Okay, well, cool. Oh, speaking of the way the film was shot, though, and especially these action sequences, um, we, the, the cinematographer for this film is Peter Deming. Mm-hmm. Now, he has not only shot Evil Dead 2, and my cousin Vinny, but he's also shot Scream two, three, and four. <laughs> oh right, yeah, okay. I thought that name sounded familiar. Uh, I just um, thought that was funny. I mean, I guess this is just the difference between having a director and a cinematographer who really complement each other's vision. And well, yeah, I mean, because like Peter, because like, he, I mean, he's clearly done horror comedy with Evil Dead too. But again, you have Josh Boone who hasn't done a film on this scale before. Yeah. Which make, I'm interested to see what his stand looks like. But again, he has 10 hours to work with in that show. Yeah, and I don't think we're going to get an action set piece on par with this except for The Thing. Which I'm not going to talk about in case people want to go into the stand, you know, virginal. Yeah, for sure. Um, (laughs) Uh, um, But yeah, I mean... That, I mean, that's pretty much it, that's right? It. Like they're they're out, they're all happy, and they go walk away, and we get that that monologue about you know, good bear versus bad bear. Mm-hmm. And it's very much the adventures of the new mutants will continue in part. Oh fuck! <laughs> but then there is no post credit scene, and we are not getting a sequel to this movie. Absolutely not. 
honestly, I'm a little bummed because I would watch a sequel to this movie. Oh, I actually posted online when I said, okay, so my my review in short is that it's fine. And then my longer review was, this feels like a two-hour TV pilot yeah. for a series that we'll never get. I wonder, I mean, maybe that too is the kind of the unmarketable one where it, do, it does feel like that. And maybe it's because I didn't see it in theaters because I don't mm. believe that. I mean, I know it went to theaters, but like, <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, like it's in these weird times. Like, that didn't go to theaters. Nope. <laughs> nope. Folks, we're not going to theaters. It's just not happening. Yeah, but um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I again, I still, I'm, I'm on the. I quite enjoyed this train. I think, I mean, it's very light. It's, I'm probably gonna forget about it in a week. But sure. as pure, just kind of, it's escapist. It's a pleasant diversion. Yeah, I'm gonna say that, which maybe doesn't deserve the three and a half stars that I gave it. Maybe it's more of a three, but I'm, I'm, I'm gonna be generous and give it that three and a half. <laughs> Dude, you do not have to rationalize or justify your scores. If you wanted to give it a three and a half because you liked it, then that's great. We'll see. I don't know. I, I definitely let me don't. Know. Yeah. I definitely don't think that it deserves like ones or anything. Like this is not a terribly made film. It's not poorly acted. You could quibble with some of the script decisions, maybe some of the dialogue, maybe some of the effect. Well, a lot of the effects. Yeah. But Overall, yeah, I'm kind of with you, just a little less enthused, if only that. because I got I got a little frustrated that it felt like we just had to keep getting introduced to these characters in yeah. different capacities. I was like, we get it. Move it's on. kind of interesting, though, right? Like, it's it's we're, we're kind of on our, our the same as our craft legacy episode, where it's like we both like it, but like I like the craft legacy a little bit less than you did, and then yeah. we flip for this one. <laughs> <laughs> right. And they were both better than we initially anticipated. I know. We're in a really good place right now. Or maybe our our tolerance of things that bring us a modicum of joy in these troubled times is just like, yes, you know what? I enjoyed this for the 85 to 95 yeah. minutes. Give me more of this. Absolutely. It's not high art. It's just popcorn entertainment. And I was about to call it dumb fun earlier, but I don't even think this movie is dumb. No, I don't think so. Yeah. It, it's doing what it's aiming to do mostly well. Right. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, I think that's going to wrap up the New Mutants. Listeners, let us know what you thought of it. Um, well, thank you all for sticking this month out with us. And um, I, I guess, fuck it. We'll cross out the New Mutants finally. Yes. And cross out Horror Queer's Patreon. Patreon.